Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. Let's talk about the truths in fiction. I'm your prepared host, Jay Scarity. And I'm the host who's winging it, Ludlow Adams. For our new listeners out there, every week I choose and prepare a topic because I'm a researcher and a planner type person. And I find out the topic uh, half an hour before because I'm an improviser and good on my feet. All right, let's get into it. I'm going to start off our discussion today with a quote that talks about what the purpose and function of stories are. Um, this is Mark Turner, who's a cognitive scientist, linguist, and author. And he said, narrative imaging, narrative imagining story is the fundamental instrument of thought. Rational capacities depend upon it. It is our chief means of looking into the future or predicting, of planning, and of explaining. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I've been struggling, you know, in the 20 minutes or 25 minutes since I actually read the email uh, before we started. I, um, I've i been kind of struggling to figure out how I would define what a story is for, like what we do with it. And, you know, you come up with passing information or, you know, teaching and connecting mm -hmm. connecting with other people and i think i think both of those are elements or they're both very important side effects of story mm -hmm. but yeah yeah giving giving scope to imagination i guess makes a lot more sense um it yeah. kind of encompasses everything yeah and something that lisa cron um talks about in story genius is this idea that stories are evolutionary for survival that mm -hmm. from the very beginning of society before there was even a wheel societies have needed stories to to protect to plan um to survive in the world mm -hmm. you know you're mm -hmm. sitting in a cave she talks about you know sitting in a cave and and the creatures that can come for you the predators in the night and how the stories allow people to learn this is what you do if that happens. Um, imagine what it would be like if it happened so they can plan for it in their heads, that kind of thing. And then has evolved today to be less about, you know, just uh, physical survival and more about social survival. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Again, whether or not that's the original purpose of stories or if it's, um, you know, kind of one of the natural outcomes. And I'm kind of now leaning towards it's one of the natural outcomes. I mean, mm -hmm. and again, connection, you can't have you can't have a society, whether it's a tribe or a nation state, you can't have one without some kind of connection, something mm -hmm. to keep everybody together. And so some of those those old tales, the, the first things that were talked about around the campfire are going to help pull that group of people together somehow. 
Yeah. Humans have this innate need to be in a group, to be social creatures and and connect. And stories allow that to happen. If you think about all the people you communicate with in a single day and how much of that communication was in the form of a story explaining something that happened or talking about something that's going to happen. Those are all, you know, maybe not something that you'd find entertaining to watch in a film or read in a book, but they're all stories. Yeah. And we, we glom onto them. I mean, we attach to, to everything really. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, that explains a lot of, the purpose for nonfiction, right? Because, you know, you have this survival kind of idea. So then let's dive into fiction, specifically Mm -hmm. fantasy and speculative um, and and sci-fi, because that's what our focus is on this podcast and why and how fiction serves a vital function in society. Um, For starters, Lisa Crone mentions some neurological things that are happening as we're engaging with fiction. And one of those is a surge of dopamine. Mm -hmm. And that gets triggered by an intense curiosity and following that curiosity. So we're being rewarded for following our curiosities as we read. And that's why you get that like, page turning can't put it down stay up way too late because you're losing track of time and you just have to read the next chapter um because your your brain is literally being rewarded for continuing and rewarding that curiosity yeah so that's why they're so engaging and our brain doesn't know that it's not true there's a part of our you know there's that deep down inside brain that is like, oh, this is real, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons things like self-visualization helps with self-actualization. Yeah. So, you know, if we picture something enough, we will tend to actually create it. Mm -hmm. There is a flip side to that though, apparently. um, And that's if you tell people that you're going to do it, it's almost as rewarding to your brain as actually doing it. So you don't end up feeling like you have to hunt that down. Mm-hmm. And Andrew Huberman, who I, I've mentioned in the past, um, fantastic researcher, but he talks about the dopamine, about dopamine not being so much a reward for accomplishment. It's a reward for effort that has been mm. oftentimes in the modern world short-circuited or maladapted into mm-hmm. being a reward for finishing something or accomplishing something. That's when we get the bigger dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. But you know, as he and Simon Sinek have both talked about, it's the it's the little reward along the way that helps you get to your goal. A little mm-hmm. bit of dopamine, a little bit of dopamine, a little bit of dopamine. Hey, I succeeded on my goal. A lot of dopamine. Mm-hmm. And then it fades out over time. So literally joy in the journey. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's one of the things that is talked about um, is that we a lot of us need to like dopamine detox. We need to cut way, way back on our, on mm-hmm. our dopamine. And yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of neat. And I think, I think fantasy and sci-fi 
in general, speculative fiction in general, I would say, even horror, heck, even contemporary fiction, these are all just different ways of, one, connecting, and two, showing how people might react in certain ways. I think yeah. that's one of the big benefits we get of it. And, you know, speculative fiction tends to be constructed world specifically to make a specific set of points. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons we we gravitate towards them so much. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You can start thinking about things differently when it's put mm-hmm. in a completely different setting not just physical but in a different social setting different political setting yeah um actually i made a note of this quote from brandon sanderson in case it came up and it did (laughs) he said the purpose of a storyteller is not to tell you how to think but to give you questions to think upon and i think that is something that fantasy and sci-fi do really well by putting us in a different environment yeah. where we can see things in a different way. Yeah. Once again, I think Brandon is absolutely right. He's a, he's a pretty wise guy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. So um, I um, think one of the big things is they, they keep at, they keep us as the reader asking why so much. Yeah. And we end up, we end up challenging a lot of our preconceived notions, I think, with well-constructed fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Harry Potter generation is a lot more empathetic than the generation before mm-hmm. because they grew up on Harry Potter. They grew up reading some of these stories. Now, all of yeah. the, the stuff that goes on with her now and all the reasons that she um, she's burned a lot of bridges with her fandom now, I get, but it doesn't change the fact that you know, for a lot of people, it made them, they, it, it made them much more accommodating of difference. It made yeah. them much more accepting of difference. Yeah. And I, I've noticed for a lot of the really hardcore Harry Potter fans, they've made a conscious effort to make their relationship with those books their own outside of the author who they may not agree with on her values and um, some of the things that she makes a public stand on. Um, But they own the relationship that they have with those books. And it is a relationship because it becomes your own personal experience. Well, down the road, you were going to have to do this one after I've forgotten this conversation Um, because that's such a great topic. You know, how can we separate art from artist? Mm -hmm. you know, et cetera. Cause there's a lot of people out there who like Lovecraft's writing, hate him as a person. Um, I don't even care for his writing. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, (laughs) sorry, everybody. Spoiler alert. Um, But you won't know when it's coming. So (laughs) yeah, there's a good chance I'm going to completely forget about it. Other than, (laughs) you know, trying to deal with my own struggles with separating art from artist. Mm -hmm. It's a hard thing to do for sure. Um, let's go back to this idea of um, living these experiences in our heads. Um, that's not just something that is speculated, theorized. There's real scientific evidence of this. And there's a lot of research that's going into this, um, has gone into it and is currently going into it. There's a great video that I'll link in our show notes 
Um, it's a TEDx talk by Jonathan. Uh, I'm going to butcher his last name. Gottschall. Gottschall. And he's the author of the storytelling animal. And he references in this video, these fMRIs of mm -hmm. people as they're reading a story and the mm -hmm. things that light up in their brain are the same things that light up if they were experiencing the story in real time. Yeah. They are, they're experiencing the same emotions and they're experiencing yep. them for real, not vicariously. Yeah. It's, it's as if they are living that story. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's something that is very chemical in our brains that's happening as we're engaging in stories. And that's why there's such great tools for learning and understanding, not just learning and understanding the world and other people, but understanding yourself and how you would respond to, to certain things. Cause sometimes you don't react the same way the main character does. Yeah. Like there's times I get angry at something when, the main character does not respond with anger, yeah. for example. Um, and, and you learn a lot about yourself in those moments. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to me in that, um, like, we're able to experience all of these different things because of fiction, you know, things that I don't mm -hmm. have to or necessarily ever want to go through. Um, yeah. And it... Like again, even romance. Like you can you can live through thousands of romantic relationships, and you know through romance reading for mm -hmm. a couple of decades, and it it's well you know beyond the fact that everybody likes to pick on romance writers, even though they <laughs> they're living the dream in a lot of ways. Yeah, for a lot they're of they're making the most money. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Nora Roberts, three hundred and forty or three hundred and sixty million or something. Yeah. Wow. And her um her cross genre stuff is really good. I've got one of her uh horror romance genre um mm -hmm. trilogies and it's phenomenal. But again, you know, it kind of got me living through these different romantic relationships <clears throat> and it was like, wow. First of all, I hope I never go through that exactly. But, yeah. wow, what a great ending or what a great way for them to end up together or yeah. you know, things along those lines. So yeah, any kind of storytelling, any kind of fiction lets us do that. Mm -hmm. What's kind of interesting is, um, you know, that the brain is a, 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 a hugely adaptable, incredible um, machine, if we want to look at it that way. Mm -hmm. So we can teach it to do all kinds of things. And again, stories, whether it's movies, shows, books, whatever, um, you know, chatting with a friend who's telling you a great story about a time yeah. they got you know, got into trouble or something, it, it all, it all teaches our brain. It all shapes our brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's practice, yeah. um, like quite literally practicing for real life and something interesting that, uh, the, I'll just call him the story animal guy, <laughs> Jonathan, our story animal author. Um, also talked about some studies that are being done um, on what's called the Will and Grace effect, referring mm -hmm. to the TV show Will and Grace mm -hmm. and how that show has made massive changes in the general American attitudes towards homosexuality yeah. and this very real influence that our media has on 
how accepting we are, how we perceive things in people, which if you listen to our, one of our previous episodes about mental health representation, we already touched a little bit on how important it is to represent those things respectfully and accurately. And this is why, because it has real world consequences. Yeah. Which interestingly is um, exactly what one side of the political spectrum likes to rail about and to say, oh, Mm -hmm. they're not, you know, they're, they're teaching our kids that it's okay. Well, yes, (laughs) exactly. You know? Yeah. I mean, they're right. (laughs) Because those, those people are real people and like, many mm-hmm. others or most others they just want to be you know able to take care of their families and be good to their neighbors that's it like yeah. that that's that's one of the biggest human drives you know yeah. we don't set out to destroy other people or hurt other people or anything mm-hmm. i don't so, i don't know who said this or it, where it started um but there's something that went around on social media um that said you know, we're not, this isn't teaching your straight kids to be gay. It's yeah. teaching your already gay kids that there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. And I think that's pretty accurate. And there's, yeah. there's scientific evidence to back that up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's really an amazing thing. Um, you know, my understanding is there's been a couple of studies that show that people who read fiction, and it doesn't really matter what kind of fiction at all tend to also be much more, um, have a lot more, show a lot more empathy towards other people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just reading about other people's lives makes you much more likely to accept and to accept other people. It doesn't mean you're going to uh, sacrifice your values or anything. You can certainly still hold a lot of different opinions. It just shows you that other people are people, human beings. Mm-hmm. With very few examples, I mean, with very few exceptions. I mean, yeah. people who hurt kids or hurt other people obviously can write themselves right out of society. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I, I totally agree. Um, let's uh, take some books and and talk a little bit about some concrete examples of what we're these sort of conceptual things we're talking about. Um, and for Uh now we'll focus on external struggle and external events and how we experience those. And then we'll, you know, in part two, talk about the internal journeys, because that's going to be a lot more of a discussion, the internal part. Um, so let's go back to Harry Potter because that's one that um, is very widely loved by the, you know, the general public all around mm-hmm. the world. Um, and it, externally what we're getting here are these over and over again, facing danger and how mm-hmm. these characters respond in the face of danger. And there's, you know, clearly the theme of bravery our three main characters are all in Gryffindor. Um, and, and that kind of concept is woven all throughout of what bravery means and what it looks like and, and how these characters respond when they're put in, in very real, very critical danger. Mm-hmm. And, and people internalize that and they're, you know, figuring out what Hogwarts house they belong to based on 
how they respond to these books and how they mm -hmm. picture themselves interacting in this magical world. So that's one example. Yeah. I think it's a great example. And, you know, beyond, I mean, beyond just that, it, it shows how to treat other people. I mean, we've got good examples, mm -hmm. bad examples all throughout the whole thing. So mm -hmm. it's another external, um, another external factor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of these novels, Harry Potter, obviously the, the books as included, maybe even especially included all focus on the courage of individual people being mm -hmm. able to turn crazy, horrible events. Um, yeah. And, and to stick with this particular, you know, book series, we don't always just see it. Um, you know, Harry or the other two members of the trio or, you know, some of his secondary circle, we, we see it with tertiary characters. You know, we, mm -hmm. we have a minister of magic who allowed himself to be tortured to death without giving up Harry. You know, yeah. we, we see a lot of these different things. And I think sometimes we come back into our world and we look around and we, we we're just so critically, horribly disappointed that we don't see that kind of, that kind of um, courage and, and mm -hmm. I don't know, nobility almost um, from political leaders. But yeah, you know, what do you want? Well, that yeah. brings in the questions, right? Where fiction causes us to question. And, and that's where real influence and change can happen in the real yeah. world when yeah. we're starting to question those things. Like yeah. we, we literally experience what it would be like if people were making good decisions yeah, and, and see what that feels like. And also you know, we experience what it's like when people make bad decisions. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to retract part of my statement. You know, there, there's a very good chance that the people who do show extraordinary courage in, in really trying circumstances are never, are not ever going to be publicly lauded. Like that's true. You know, mm -hmm. There's their day-to-day situations that are going to show that people you know, that, that people have courage and character of conviction and mm -hmm. conviction of character, what, however you say that. Um, th we, we see those every single day when we really look for them, but they're not mm -hmm. going to be splashed all over the newspapers, whereas the bad examples are going to be typically. Yeah, that's so true. Media tends to lean towards the negative. Um, yeah. it, it's considered more newsworthy, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's something else that fiction helps do is bring to light some of those stories that, that we don't get. Yeah. It, yeah. it shares some of those smaller, um, more personal stories. Yeah. And while it's a fictional character, it's very real human things that are happening. Because that's what authors are. Authors are... Um, explorers of the human condition our goal is to try and get inside the heads of all different kinds of people yeah and portray those as characters um, that reveal the how and why and the motivations that drive the decisions that that real people make yeah i think i think that's a pretty good way of explaining it mm-hmm um, and there is, you know, that element of escapism and a lot of people 
uh, say they like fantasy and, and science fiction and, and fiction in general because of that escapism element. And there is an escapism element there. Like mm-hmm. in Harry Potter, you get to live in a world of magic for a while. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty exciting. And just like with the real issues that your brain is processing, your brain also believes that it's, you know, in a real magical world. And being able to to escape into that is um, is very intriguing and very compelling. Um, but it it's not just escapism. And even though we're escaping into a different world, the same problems exist that exist in our real world. Yeah. So you're escaping, but you're not really escaping at the same time. I, um, I think that's where some people get frustrated is that, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be people who want more escapism and people mm-hmm. who just want the experience, you know? Mm-hmm. And so those people who are looking for escapism often will get frustrated with the, like we said a few weeks ago, uh, the darkening of fiction, how fiction yeah. is getting darker and darker, not obviously by skin tone, but by, by material it's Mm -hmm. you know the themes are getting more and more gritty um even to the point where we're getting into grim dark kind of territory yeah and so some people literally are saying oh i don't want to deal with any of this i just want to escape television shows movies it's all you know you you can see the exact same complaints everywhere Mm -hmm. um and you know it that's a valid way of looking at it it's not one that i that i personally adhere to it's just it makes a lot of sense for somebody to say, Hey, that's not, that's not what I want for my fiction. I think that might be a part of growing up too, because I mean, you read really, really old fiction and it's mm-hmm. always been that way. I mean, all the way back to, um, you know, the ancient Greeks and the tragedies that they wrote it's always been dark. There's always been very real issues and, yeah. and complicated themes. Um, and, and, you know, things like battles and, and experiences we live vicariously through that aren't always positive. It's not always exciting magic, ride a broomstick. Um, there's heavier stuff that we live through when we read. Yeah. And I think that, something that people start to miss is as they get older they realize just how fucked up the world is yeah (laughs) and it becomes more obvious um but also the type of fiction changes middle grade and and children's fiction is a very different animal and i mean there's a reason that as adults we read that and we don't connect to it as as much depending on on the work right um, some children's fiction is very complex and um, and deals with those those things, um, but there's a there's children's fiction that's really meant to, for pure entertainment and mm-hmm. getting kids excited about reading, and that reflects better your childhood most childhood experiences that are pretty carefree not unfortunately not all children have get to have that experience but um a lot of children experience not having a lot of responsibilities not having to think about those things Mm -hmm. and so they can relate to these books 
because that's their experience. But as we grow up, we can't relate to that anymore in the same way. Yeah. And I, I think that some of that um, complaint about things not being as escapism comes from this place of, of mourning yeah. the, those easier times of mourning yeah. childhood and innocence. Yeah. I can see that, but when somebody who's in their 50s is complaining about how Star Trek all of a sudden got super political, mm, you know, mm-hmm. basically just whitewashed their childhood when they watched the original series. Mm, so, mm-hmm. you know, that that kind of stuff just kind of bothers me sometimes. It's like, you know, like we were talking about in our first podcast, you know, people will miss messages all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, out of ignorance or... um or willful ignorance. I mean, and, you know, ignorance can be cured. Willful ignorance, not so much. Um, mm-hmm. The first time I watched Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I had no idea what was going on and I fell asleep because I was so bored. And then somebody had to point out to me, John, they're stoned. What, <laughs> <laughs> Loathe? They're stoned the entire movie. That's what's going on. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> the tops are connecting. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's also, you know, all there's always going to be people who they know what's happening and they just don't like that it, what the um, creator of that art is trying to convince yeah. them of. They yeah. don't like the questions that yeah. they're trying to bring up. Um, yeah. And I, I think that might be another place where a lot of those complaints come from is not necessarily that it isn't the same escapism that they were used to, but that the things that it's bringing up for them, they don't like having brought up. It's uncomfortable or, um, or they feel that it goes against their personal values. I, I think fiction should be uncomfortable. Absolutely. You know, we, we should challenge these beliefs. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that the, the Catholic Church, I think, has done fairly well with is, you know, letting their their congregants know it's okay to question. It's okay mm-hmm. to do that. In fact, you probably should. You know, you, yeah. should, you should pull your beliefs out every once in a while and really look at them under a microscope again and then figure out, okay, wow, mm-hmm. am I still on board with this or not? Absolutely. And, and fiction gives us a safe place to do this mm-hmm. um you know we're not the ones having to go through it in a physical temporal sense yeah we're going through it emotionally but we're not you know that gives us the opportunity to, to grow into it rather than to you know try to figure it out the first time it happens to us because mm-hmm. that's that's much much harder oh yeah absolutely yeah and we, we should definitely talk more about beliefs um and fiction's influence on that when we do part two okay um but i i think that that does have a direct um effect on those external things because externally you're you're reacting based on certain beliefs and Mm -hmm. as you're reading a book your initial beliefs that you come into it with are going to affect how you react to the external struggles that mm-hmm. the characters in the book are going through. Um, and, and that can result in some of the differences when 
you kind of stray from the main character's feelings and and you're having your own experience with the events um, that none of the other characters are are having quite exactly in the same way mm-hmm. because we come in with our our preconceived notions biases convictions yeah um but that's what makes every experience so unique for each reader yeah and personal well this kind of ties into that old saying you can never go home you know Mm -hmm. because you've changed home isn't the same anymore it's not the place you grew up you know you look at it very differently etc and so you know as we change and we really should as we continue to grow uh we're we should continue to grow throughout our entire lives. And a big part of that is changing and challenging those preconceptions or those notions mm-hmm. and changing the way we, uh, we interact with the world because of those differences. Yeah. So, absolutely. you know, to go back to it. Yeah. Harry Potter did a lot of that for people, all the mm-hmm. other issues aside, or even including all of the other issues, which people have been saying has been a problem for 20 years almost. Yeah. Like, hey, there are issues with this these books, and yet you know they they've helped a lot of people get through a lot mm-hmm. of personal growth, even if they didn't realize it. Absolutely. So I think a really obvious external struggle that we find in fantasy and sci-fi is battle and war, mm-hmm. and I think there's a reason for that because the horrors of battle are so intense and deep Mm -hmm. that human beings are just trying to process it over and over and over again about why, why do people do it? Um, Why, why is it necessary? Um, How does it happen? Yeah. And how does it affect the people on the battlefield and the people at home? Yeah all these different aspects and for a lot of people sitting at home reading these books they will never experience that in real life and they don't they don't want to either most of them i'm sure i'm not going to speak for everybody um but this provides an opportunity to understand a very core part of being human Mm -hmm. and and having civilizations and societies that will clash um, without having to step out into a, onto a real battlefield and experience mm-hmm. that in real life. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the important things about Lord of the Rings is it showed, you know, I mean, for as stilted as language we would consider to be today or as, as old-fashioned as it is in, in so many ways, mm-hmm. um, it, it really started digging into that a little bit. And mm-hmm. having Aon and uh mary kill the kill the witch king sorry if you haven't read it everybody but you know it's a little late for spoilers (laughs) um you know having eowyn basically deal the death blow to the witch king was a Mm -hmm. huge step forward i can only imagine you know how how many people how many stodgy old jackasses were Mm -hmm. like oh you can't have a woman doing that and how incredibly important that was for little girls who grew up reading them Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because yeah. we we learn things about, you know, we use them as, as these metaphors for how we 
respond to things. And, and so, you know, uh, a little girl might read that and think, you know what, I could become a boxing champion Mm -hmm. or I could become a, a, famous scientist or an influential mm-hmm. um scientist discovering things that change everything we think about the world mm-hmm. and coming from a history of at which a lot of the younger generation doesn't necessarily understand this the same way that the older generation does anymore because we've made lots of progress and that's a wonderful and great thing um but it used to be that women really weren't encouraged to do those things. And mm-hmm. reading that in a book where this character was told she couldn't go into battle with them. And then she went anyway and she saved everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that, that you're absolutely right. A little girl reads that and it can be life changing. Yeah. Or, or a little boy who wants to grow up to be Mary. Like, Hey, you know, yeah. I just want to, I just want to have a good life with my family and stuff, but gosh, if I mm-hmm. have to, I'm going to step forward and stab the witch King. Yeah. So, I think yeah. especially with the hobbits being these smaller creatures that everyone underestimates. And yeah. I, it's a shame they didn't have Mary um, play the full role that he does in the book, in the movie, um, because that was such a, a great moment of this essentially this character who's been bullied and picked on mm-hmm. and defeating the bully um which a lot of kids can relate to yeah i never even considered it like the bully um you know victim paradigm like i never would have thought about that so that's kind of mm-hmm. a neat way of going about it you know and and if you look at the i i think in some ways the movie actually makes it makes mary a little bit more heroic you know cuz he just stabs the witch king and that's it you know and you know the the the, the blade disappears and he's you know he's rendered ill but in the in the novel it's because of the specific blade that he's been carrying since tom bombadil pulled it out of the barrow downs for him mm-hmm. you know for him and the other hobbits um so yeah, I I think in some ways the movie the movie portrays that a little bit better. And then in the books, Mary is laid up for quite a while. He mm-hmm. and Aowen both, um, and Faramir, which is how Faramir and Aowen end up meeting. You know, mm-hmm. they're in one of the hospitals, and but he isn't there for the battle at the Black Gates, whereas Pippin is, and Pippin yeah. ends up killing like a troll chieftain or something during that battle, mm-hmm. and that's Pippin's moment. But we don't see it on screen the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I and and if you we take that another step, it, it can be a perfect example of, hey, you know, sometimes you just have to do the really hard thing for everybody's sake, and it's still yeah. going to cost you, even if you yeah. do the right thing, it may still hurt for quite a yeah. while. And yeah, you have a you have a good point there with how the movie ended up portraying yeah. that. I, I yeah, I'd agree that it's still heroic. Um, it just differently than the book did it but um but yeah that i mean it's still it's still a hero moment for sure and yeah and yeah i i think it's interesting that you know i see this bully kind of metaphor that you didn't see um which goes back to this idea that 
fiction becomes a personal experience and everyone mm-hmm. experiences it differently. And we get out of it kind of what we need to. Um, when I started out my college career studying literature and, mm-hmm. you know, we did a lot of analyzing, a lot of literary analysis. And I, I love that. That's like my, you know, chocolate cake, like a literary analysis. It's something I savor. It's decadent. I love doing it, but I can't do it all the time. (laughs) Um, I can't only like exist on just that because I need, you know, I would, I would tire out really quickly, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, But something that a lot of people complain about in those kinds of courses and that kind of scholarly pursuit is we're all inventing these different interpretations and trying to guess what the author meant, particularly with like poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe they just meant it, what it means at face value. Um, But for me, at least the purpose isn't necessarily to figure out and decode the hidden meanings of the author. That can be fun. I I like playing that game with Shakespeare's sonnets. Um, But the the purpose the what you truly get out of a literary analysis is the interpretations that you take Mm -hmm. from it and i can't speak for every author but for myself as i'm writing i'm conscious of the fact that the meaning i'm intending is very personal and for myself and some people might see it the same way and Mm -hmm. other people might not they might interpret it completely differently And that doesn't mean I've failed in communicating my message. It means that I've succeeded in creating something that more more people can relate to and get what they need out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, The Shakespearean comment is is really particularly pertinent because I've pulled something from Much Ado About Nothing that, that most people are like, what? how did you even get that? And it's just about Mm -hmm. the relationship between Benedict and Beatrice. And really it comes Mm -hmm. down to the two were in love before they went off to war, something happened. And I can, um, I can, you know, you can kind of fill in a few details thinking that Beatrice was probably like, let's get married now and, you know, give me a child so that I have something Mm -hmm. of yours, of you before you go off, just in case you're Mm -hmm. killed. And I could see Benedict saying absolutely not because of who he is as a, as a, as a person. And, he mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have felt that that was very honorable. So the two of them have put up these huge walls against each other. Um, and, you know, Benedict comes off as as being a misogynistic jerk. And Beatrice comes off as quite often being a man-hating jerk. Um, mm-hmm. And they obviously have special, specific antagonism toward one another. Because right. they didn't have the courage to drop those walls. Mm-hmm. You know, and... And that's one of those things that I've been like, oh, you know, I need to, I need to not do that. I need to, you know, if, if I, you know, if I'm in a position to where, you know, that, that might be an issue, I really need to take a couple of looks at myself and say, okay, is that really, is that really necessary? Is that really fair? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that, that gives a reason for their initial state when the story begins. Yeah. Um, and that's really interesting. Yeah. I've always assumed that they had a history yeah. because of their immediate 
like all yeah. oh, that guy like <laughs> well, from the and, very beginning yeah um, and and beatrice says something to the prince about it she's like oh i lost benedict a long time ago or something along those lines i forget yeah. the, the exact mm-hmm. quote and so it's like oh it is two-sided history it's not just Benedict yeah. who feels this way it's it's beatrice yeah. as well yeah um yeah and you know again you know what i've learned from that is to to live a bit more courageously because mm-hmm. you know it's it it's a heck of a lot easier in the long run to live from your place of strength mm-hmm. yeah i i love that interpretation um and i i love that stories drop us in the middle of things and we have to create our own context yeah um i think that that's what something that helps it make it more personal and and helps us apply it to our own external struggles yeah i'd agree with that that's our time for part one i hope you'll join us for part two coming up next week We've been your hosts, Ludlow Adams and J.S. Garrity. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next week for the continuation of, of this topic about the world of fiction. This has been We're Lying, But That's Okay. Big thanks to our listeners for your support. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review. Thank you to our one-man production and tech support team, Max Garrity for making this podcast possible.